So firstly, Frederick, thank you so very much for time in doing this session. Really appreciate you talking to me and sharing your knowledge and information about yourself, Cardano Foundation and Cardano Summit, which is taking place later this year in Dubai. Now, before we start, just wanted to check, you know, how has your day been so far and is there anything interesting going on in the world of Cardano right now? Thank you very much for asking. Uh, my day has been pretty phenomenal. We just launched uh, yesterday, I believe it was, the, uh, a new explorer from the Cardano Foundation. And when I say a new explorer, it's the first explorer we launched from the Cardano Foundation. And what's so unique about it is that we actually built that together with regulators because we see that there's a higher need for regulators, auditors, and other people who are supervising blockchain to understand the incentive mechanisms and to understand you know, different things and what's happening on a blockchain. And they're not able to read the code of all these blockchains. So they need a different view, sort of a visualization of understanding. For instance, is there a slashing mechanism? So is there a login mechanism on that blockchain? If there's a token who works on that blockchain, what's, what's the incentives of that token? And how does the underlying infrastructure, so the public infrastructure work, but also what is that, does that mean for that token? So probably the, the best example is that there's been a lot of discussion since Ethereum moved to proof of stake. Um, you know, what, what does that mean? And this is a regulatory event. And what we actually have on this new Explorer, uh, we can send you a link for, for your show notes, is that we actually show the, the life cycle of how uh, proof of stake and staking actually works on Cardano. And what's really important on Cardano, for instance, is that um, it's actually the protocol who pays out the rewards for you to participate in the security of the protocol by staking. It is not the stake pool operator. And this means a lot depending if you are in the Dubai, uh, if you are in the, the European zone or if in the US zone, depending on capital markets regulation is. But it also means a lot in terms of uh, how much trust you need to have in the stake pool operator compared to the protocol. And another thing which is uh, very unique about this Explorer is that we paid a lot of attention to the protocol parameters. The protocol parameters is sort of what um, allows us to optimize the blockchain towards uh, an optimal, um, let's say, ecosystem. So what it talks, uh, the protocol parameters really does is it allows us to, um, to showcase the process and the decision around increasing or decreasing transaction fees or increasing the optimal amount of stake pool operators or um, how the decision making is, is going on on the blockchain. So there's a whole set of these protocol parameters. And as Cardano matures and as we mature on the, on the, um, on, on sort of the governance uh, track, what these becomes more and more important. But what we also see is that the regulators, but also large companies who is regulated because they are in healthcare or they're a public company and so on, they need to understand that because they actually need to report those things in um, to their supervisory authorities because they're doing what's called an outsourcing to an infrastructure they don't own because this is a public infrastructure. So this allows you to, to have a, a really good view on, uh, you know, these protocol parameters and when these changes happen and what sort of indicated or instigated a change in that. So we just, uh, yeah, we launched the beta version of that and that's obviously been uh, very interesting. And what I think, on top of that, what's really potentially even more interesting for, for, for blockchain developers is that what we did is we actually built multiple components in Java. Mm -hmm. So normally on Cardano, you are sort of, you know, Haskell is, uh, is, is our native language and you get really far with Rust as well. But, but Java is really where a lot of, you know, normal engineers are, are moving around. 
So what we've done now is we've built this product, uh, which you can argue should a foundation build a product or not, but by having a product, a fully working product, uh, which is you know using backend components in Java on top of the blockchain, it, it allows us to open source this. So we were going to make all the, the code not just public, but put that into uh, our GitHub repository and encourage people to to fork it and to you know to to add to it and to do pull requests. It allows you to have multiple Java components on top of Cardano, which you can build a lot of things with. Everything where you basically need to get a blockchain into a database and do something magical with it, whether that's regarding rewards or whether that's regarding business surveillance or whether that's supply chain, you will now have that uh, hopefully in a month or two uh, as Java components. And I really hope that that's going to encourage much more developers to look into the Cardano ecosystem because the blockchain is amazing. Yeah. But this uh, allows you more tooling. Absolutely. It makes the life of developers so much more easier, right? Rather than learning a new language. Now, one question what I wanted to ask regarding the Explorer. Is that meant only for regulators or businesses? Or is it open for general public as well? So let's say even a five-year-old can go out and view it. <laughs> well, we have really some very good Explorers built by the community. So I, I think there's some of those Explorers which is really made for a software engineer or made for a first time user. So the Explorer we we built here is is we've been looking more at if you are if you are a lawyer or if you are a, if you're sitting in a traditional legacy business and you're trying to understand blockchain, um it's 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 made for you. It's made for a policy maker, a regulator who needs to understand the an incentive. So I, I, the idea here is that we we looked at a very specific persona group where we as the foundation have a duty to, to manage and we build it for them. That doesn't mean that as a normal person, you won't get a lot of joy out of it. I'm just saying that there's a lot of community explorers, which is very good as well. But what this also have is this has a phone number attached to it. So if you are one of those persona groups, you can actually call us uh, for more. Now we are already interacting with many of these regulators and many of these sort of, you know, big four uh, audit firms and so on. But now it gives us a way for them to verify that what we are saying is correct with them without them actually having to build that code themselves. And they can go in and audit that when we publish the, the source code, they can go in and audit that, that what we're saying is correct without you know being software engineers themselves. So I think to answer your question shortly, yes, you know, anybody can use this, but uh, but uh, I think there's some community projects it was probably better for like a first-time blockchain person, but, but you know, who's, who knows? Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. And you know, you mentioned about Cardano Foundation. So for our listeners in Dubai, can you tell us the key difference, let's say, between Cardano Foundation and IOHK? What is the key difference between both of the entities? Sure. So um, blockchain foundations comes in many arts and shapes. So the Cardano Foundation is a Swiss nonprofit uh, foundation. And what's very different with the Cardano Foundation compared to many other blockchain foundations, also based in Switzerland or in Dubai or in other places, is that we didn't create the blockchain. We don't control the blockchain. We don't control the monetary policy. We are a consequence of uh, the, the, the voucher sale, which was done in Asia. Um, and out of that, two entities was created. One was uh, IOHK which was tasked with the purpose of building the first generation of the blockchain, including the academic research, including the proof points and so forth. And then Imurco, which was tasked with education, commercialization, 
and basically um, bootstrapping uh, sort of a startup you know community around that. Now the idea, the third entity who then came later after that was the Kelana Foundation, and the purpose of the Kelana Foundation was really around looking at the longevity, so looking at the long time access. And the idea about us being non-profit means also that we are, have a different incentive on, you know, what does Kedano look like? Where IOHK and, and Imurco uh, always were intended to end as commercial vehicles, we will never end as a commercial vehicle. Uh, it's really our duty to, um, to explore the art of the possible, to interact with the regulatory landscape and lower the barriers for adoption, but also look at how do you optimize decision-making for long-term success of the Cardano public infrastructure. And you know, Frederick, I was listening to one of your interviews, and I believe it was with Cardano Foundation or IHK, I'm not sure. And you also discussed about the audit report, which is done by the Cardano Foundation. And I believe that happened last month, right? The, the what report, sir? The audit report for the Cardano Foundation. So, um, yeah, so we, Again, this is a little bit where there's some differences, right? So we are a Swiss uh, foundation, and that basically mm -hmm. means that there is an audit requirement on us. So mm -hmm. we have a what's called a, a financial audit on us. So we basically use with a we use an external auditor who basically goes through uh, all our numbers. But we also have a supervisory authority. I, I say that a little bit in a bracket because it's it's not a banking supervisory authority as we are not a bank, right? Um, we are basically a foundation, and there is a there's a supervisor authority, which is uh, the Swiss uh, Foundation Supervisor Authority, which mm -hmm. basically looks at our deed and says, you are supposed to do this. Can you verify that this is what you're doing? And if we are not doing that, we actually are personal liable, which is a very scary thing, specifically in blockchain, because there's a big difference between being CEO of, let's say, a limited liability company. And if you break the law, you know, then, you know, bad thing happens. But if you just, you know, the company doesn't go as as it's supposed, or you, you you know your private assets, or you don't go to jail, right? And yeah. here in this case, this is quite different. So in this in the Swiss Foundation, if we divert from the purpose, so as is described in the deed, uh, even though it's not a you know from a criminal perspective a problem, uh, we actually personal liable, and this is a part of sort of protecting the direction which was given uh, with the initiation of the foundation. And if you go in and read that deed, what it basically says is that the purpose of the Cardano Foundation is to promote third-generation blockchains, such as Cardano, in terms of uh, enabling adoption and uh, and so forth. So it's, 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 it's quite specific, but it's also broad enough that uh, in an emerging technology such as blockchain that we have some leeway to, 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 to move around a bit. Absolutely great. And I was going through your website about Cardano Foundation and it did actually state that the focus of the foundation is operational resilience, education and adoption. So can you share ways how, you know, the foundation does actually have developers and something that you did actually mention earlier on is all about the Java thing. That is definitely going to help the developers as well, isn't it? Yeah. So I think one of the epiphanies we had is that we never wanted to do something around education because we really felt that there was somebody else in the community who should take care of that. But what we saw is that when we interacted with universities and when we interacted with regulators and we interacted with business owners and board members, they, many of them has upgraded their knowledge and they've gone to a university and they, they studied blockchain and, and they're, they're asking the right questions. 
the problem we're seeing is that they're uh, learning blockchain based on a on a version one or version two blockchain. So they are not on a third generation blockchain in terms of education, which means that for them, all the use cases are financial use cases. And there's only one type of identity, one type of, of, of transaction. For instance, you can only do a, a token by, by using a smart contract. So you can, so they don't have the concept of native assets like we have in Cardano, for instance. And, and uh, secondly, or thirdly, you know, metadata. So the story of the transactions, um, are very limited. So what you can do on a third generation blockchain such as Cardano or Polkadot or Algorand and so on is, is, is completely different and opens up a scope of innovation and adoption which these uh, users are not aware of. So we basically set forward to, to launch an educational program which we call the Alpha program and now the, the, say the first two modules are coming in the end of the year but you can actually join the Alpha program today which is about seven hours which brings you from zero blockchain knowledge to, let's say, a, such a deep blockchain knowledge that you actually can understand what the third generation blockchain is and why it matters. And with the first and second module, you would then also be able to do something relevant on the Cardano blockchain. And what we do is we give this away for free. So if you're a university professor, you actually get the slides and everything for free. You can just put your own logo on it and change what right. you want. Uh, and the same goes for other blockchains. So we have some other sort of third generation blockchains which approach us and say, hey, can we get this material? And we're like, yes, of course. Because we do feel that the purpose is the general blockchain adoption and what that does in terms of changing society and changing social systems. The other part, what it does on the educational side, is it gives the regulators the opportunity to ask the right questions and widen the scope. So it's not just about capital markets, but it's also about consumer protection, it's about supply chain, it's about ESG and a lot of other topics, which also very often is covered by regulators. So we're getting a bigger scope and a better understanding of that. The operational resilience part is, is very important for us because Cardano has grown exponentially. So if you look at it, we are the third largest in terms of NFT issuance. We are, you know, there's so much happening that, that on certain days we have more transaction volume than on Bitcoin or on Ethereum and so on. So what's mostly important when you don't own and control the public infrastructure, so the blockchain, is that you can rely on that it, it works and it doesn't go down, it doesn't need to be restarted. What about disaster recovery and those things? Mm -hmm. So at the, in the start, there was really only one entity who was looking after that. And there was then the state pool operators, which was uh, starting to get tools and starting to uh, you know take over that job. We are, in terms of state pool operators, probably the most decentralized blockchain in the world. We have over 3,000 um, independent state pool operators who actually operate the blockchain. So what we build is we build a set of network monitoring tools, and we also uh, started to deploy uh, listening nodes and relay nodes, which basically gives dashboards. And we're now uh, deploying and, and starting to have a set of tools for state pool operators that when we go into the next era of Cardano, what you can actually uh, start thinking about is that you have multiple lenses looking at network resilience, looking at network health, and that basically enables us to ensure that you can trust the networking layer and the operational resilience of Cardano much more than you can do on, on other, say, uh, you know, similar blockchains or similar projects. But what it also allows us to do is it allows us to work more on decentralization because it allows the stake pool operators now suddenly a, a way to also add value in that part of the blockchain. So it gives them a larger role to play 
plus it makes it more operational resilient in terms of let's say uh, electricity goes down in a, in a continent for instance or there's a war breaking out and those kind of things uh, or the, the three pioneering entities suddenly disappears um, you know it, it gives the opportunity to really think about you know what kind of tools and having multiple entities looking at that and we actually also uh, found a few places which we could optimize the network uh, layer and we actually uh, wrote um, uh, fixes for that and deployed that uh, on on the networking layer so we basically went from being sort of um, I would say a non-technical entity to an entity who also able to contribute on that plus we then built up very close relationship with stakeholder operators and also you know sharing the knowledge we have with them but also receiving a lot of knowledge and a lot of um, input and working and the last is adoption as you were alluding to and with adoption we um, we, we, we kind of look at it in two areas um, and and here you know if you have a better word let me know but we think a lot about what's called value capture mm -hmm. so value capture is the this idea is if you can build an app or if you can build a value proposition on top of Cardano um, we think this is extremely important however we already in Cardano have something called Catalyst and we have a very active community and they are much better in calling out who should get funding than we are so this is already decentralized and you know there is a voting process where you can get bootstrapping you can get access to developers and so on but i do think that exploring what's possible in terms of building a fantastic operating model on top of Cardano is important so where we focus is on the tooling we focus on what's actually needed so you don't have to build everything from scratch so if iog is focusing on the actual blockchain you can imagine there is a set of containers and tools and standards and other things which is needed so you don't have to do that if you're going to build a new google maps on top of Cardano or a healthcare proposition or a digital identity or token offering so what we've been focusing on the last year is ensuring that there is much more tooling around that and that's why also i was so excited about the explorer before it's not so much <laughs> the actual explorer it's the java components and it's exactly. what it allows us to do with the, the regulators and supervisors and others to prove that Cardano is uh, superior in many, many regulations. And you can really verify that without being a software engineer yourself. That is absolutely beautifully said. And what I really like is, Frederick, you know, you covered the core focus that is operational resilience, education and adoption. But one challenging question that I'd like to ask you is that when you talk about Bitcoin and Bitcoin maximalist, Historically, you know, they have very severe allergic reaction to, let's say, associations and foundations. And the reason being, these foundations over a period of time can get really strong and maybe can even have a say in the direction of the protocol. So what are your thoughts on that? And how is it that Cardano Foundation ensures that it is the community who decides the future of the protocol? Yeah, so I actually have uh, attracted some Bitcoin maximalists and even some Ethereum maximalists to work in the Cardano Foundation. So uh, I've been through sort of a quite rigorously process because you need to really be able to explain why Cardano matter. And I'm a big Bitcoin believer myself, so I, I sort of know where people are coming from. So I think the way to answer that question is that um, if you think about a talk of war, What's so powerful with Bitcoin is that the talk of war is between three, let's call it entities or groups of people. So you have the core developers, which is really leaning up over the original white paper. 
Then you have the miners, which is really looking and have invested an incredible amount in infrastructure. Um, and then you have the market cap of, of Bitcoin, right? So the amount of people who really believe that this is a really good storage of value and this allows you to, um, to, to, to really, you know, secure uh, wealth across time, but also to transact in environments where, uh, you know, you just don't have access to intermediaries and you can't trust the, the government, right? And this is amazing. This is the power of Bitcoin. And for every single day that the code is not changed and you have sort of, you know, resistance there, the value proposition of Bitcoin goes up. And yeah. I think this is amazing. Now, if you look at a third generation blockchain like Cardano, we are very much aware that one of the biggest problems we are facing is as we learn more about the existing society and we put more effort into changing society to the better by using, you know, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and understanding what identity looks like in Indonesia and, and those kind of things. There is new features required on the blockchain. But as we now have thousands of companies already relying on the blockchain, there is a process where you would need to upgrade the source code of the blockchain. And that process has a very large attack vector. You know, you, you know, the code is already so complicated. So even though you're thinking you're adding a new feature and it's been through a very diligent uh, Q&A process, it might actually, um, you know, kill another feature or it might open up an, uh, an attack vector on the Cardano blockchain. And this is a little bit of a give and take. So the talk of war looks different on Cardano than it does on Bitcoin. And I think that even though we are using formal verifications and that's also why we like Haskell so much, mm -hmm. um, it, it's a different value proposition. And I think those two value propositions work very well hand in hand. Cardano, I think, you know, if you look at ADA, for instance, it's, it's, it's never built in the same way as Bitcoin. It's not the same underlying value proposition. ADA is built to enable use cases on Cardano so you can be anonymous. You can be a person without no identity and still participate and contribute to the network. Where Bitcoin is very much built with a financial use case in mind. So I do actually think that um, those two things work very well hand in hand. And I do think that the, uh, there's much, there's a, there's room for both and uh, hopefully for more, many more. And that's also why, for instance, at the Kidano Summit, that we will have other blockchains uh, joining us again this year. Mm -hmm. And we are encouraging not just layer one, but also layer two to come and talk about interoperability and operational resilience and how we get much more blockchain out there because I truly believe that with the emergence of large language models um, and the accessibility of that, what we actually are going to see is that your ability to verify whether something is true is diminishing over time. Because if you go into ChatGPT, for instance, yeah. and you ask a question, what you're getting is you're getting the most perfect argument why this is correct. And it's really hard for you to you know, figure out if this is correct or not because the argumentation is so strong. But what yeah. ChatGPT really does, and it's not against it, it's amazing, right? But what it really does is that it takes you know, all the information on the internet and we think about the information on the internet where there is zero cost in uploading information. Well, basically you have a lot of wrong information as well. So it's not computable information. And what the blockchain really does by always, you know, it always costs you something to add something and everything is computable. It allows you actually to, to start thinking about how do you verify some of those things. So I do think there's a very large need for multiple blockchains, but also for more multiple businesses moving towards blockchain-based data structures, 
while they are adopting more and more large language models and AI. Um, so I think it's actually vital for the human race, but also for society as such, that we get much more blockchain adoption. And therefore, we need to work together with maximalists, but also with layer tools and with also maybe in certain instances, uh, which have been very much against actually more permission blockchains to ensure that we can get much more adoption of the general principles around um, distributed ledger technology, verifiable proofs, cryptographic primitives, and, and, and open and permissioned blockchains. That is very beautifully said. And in doing the adoption, I do believe that Cardano Foundation is actually having a summit in Dubai, right? So can you tell our listeners a brief information about what the Cardano Summit is, and it is taking place between the 2nd and the 4th of November. So can you tell our listeners what is the significance and the goal of the upcoming Cardano Summit in Dubai? Yeah, so the, the summit of 2022, which we held in Switzerland, was to embrace the spirit of decentralization and giving attendees the opportunity to help shape the agenda and provide them with a voting system um, where everybody could vote and all votes would be verified on chain. So this is what we call the Cardano ballot. And now we've we moved much more into the age of Voltaire, which is sort of the governance era of Cardano, where we're really looking at um, giving much more control and, you know, writing a constitution on the chain and so on. The Cardano Summit 2023 will be much more around giving the community ways to influence the agenda and become summit speakers. But it's not just about Cardano. So one day is really about celebrating Cardano, our advancements, the people who's been building on it, where the second day is way more about what I just spoke about before, is about mm -hmm. general blockchain adoption. How do we get to a situation where Dubai has been doing an amazing job um, in the last couple of years, right? To really attract a lot of, uh, you know, technology models and so on. But what we need to get to is we need to get to a, to a larger adoption and we need to get to more places where we can deploy blockchain technology, whether that's Cardano or something else. It's not that relevant. I obviously would like it to be Cardano, but the summit day two is really about how do we inspire the community the Dubai community, but also everybody who can reach Dubai as an international a business hub and, uh, and travel hub, right? Uh, to make new connections, uh, uh, to explore the cutting edge of, of blockchain technology. And I think what's hugely important is the, the physical aspect. So we're going to have about 30 summits around the world at the same time. So yeah. people come together, you know, in, in, in cities from around the world. But Dubai is the main hub. So we're, we're betting on having around 2,000 people there who can find funding, find teams, explore use cases, you know, really understand whether this makes sense and doesn't make sense and create, you know, roadmaps of how to deploy this decentralized open permissionless technology to change the world going forward. And I think, you know, uh, Dubai is at the moment really that place to do that. And when was the decision made to go and inhabit in Dubai as a CEO of the Cardano Foundation? Did you venture other places as well? Because I was listening to your interview and you did actually mention that last year when you had it in Switzerland, people from America, they traveled for the very first time out of the country only to attend the Cardano Summit, isn't it? So in terms yeah. of Dubai, what was the decision-making process that went on and how did you convince the people as well that, you know, let's do it in Dubai or let's say maybe in Saudi Arabia in the near future? So to be very honest, that was not me. Um, I have a team around me uh -huh. and the team basically came up with multiple suggestions 
And then they came up with one recommendation and the recommendation was Dubai. And I think the logic was, uh, was very good. Now, what we have to be aware of is that we are still in the bear market. So some of the OGs of Cardano and some of the projects um, will have or have some issues in terms of traveling to Dubai. Um, but, but that being said, um, you know, we, we, we nailed it down to basically two locations. And then we actually worked together with uh, Dr. Marvan Al Saruni, um, mm -hmm. which, which works for the Dubai government and is the head of blockchain. Um, and, and yeah, and then it was, you know, it became quite obvious that uh, out of the two locations, we nailed it down to, um, oh, anyway, I think it was three actually, uh, Dubai was our, our preferred for ensuring that not only could we celebrate Cardano and what's happening on Cardano, but we could also tap into a vibrant ecosystem in Dubai of uh, of builders and business people, uh, but also regulators um, to ensure a, a general blockchain adoption. And were there any challenges or are there any current challenges? Let's see, organizing the event in Dubai. Because to be honest, in November, the weather was definitely much better. Because right now it's ridiculously hot. So the timing of the event is definitely much better in November. Yeah. Now we have a lot of problems with that. I mean, I have to say we are not an event organizer, right? So mm -hmm. uh, for us, it's, uh, I mean, this is not what we do for a living. So uh, finding sponsors, finding speakers who's not just around Cardano, but is, is sort of general keynote speakers, ensuring that we have the right mix between engineers, business people, uh, you know, venture capital people and so on. So you're not getting a skew towards, you know, uh, people who just want to do a hackathon in one corner, right? Or a skew towards people who just want to do a, like a shark tank or something like that. But getting that sort of constellation together that what you're going to walk into is a vibrant ecosystem where you can, you know, you can get like years work done by just being there for two days. Uh, I think that is a, that is a true challenge. The other part is we don't have that many people on the ground in Dubai. So we have uh, one employee and then we have some very good ambassadors. So the Baron brothers has been working uh, associated with Kirano uh, for a long time there. Uh, but we, we don't have a lot of sort of people on the ground. So we, we, it, it's definitely harder for us than it was in Switzerland where we have a lot of people on the ground and we, we know sort of, you know, the basic infrastructure, if, if you may, and have a very strong network. Our network in Dubai is good, but it's not as good. Uh, and our network in the U.S., for instance, is a lot better than it is in Dubai. But it also gives us the opportunity to create that network in a vibrant business community as Dubai. Absolutely beautiful, you said. And you also mentioned about ambassadors. And, you know, while I was going through your website, I did actually mention about the ambassador program. So can you tell our listeners what the ambassador program is? And I believe you just mentioned that there is one ambassador from the Middle East, right? So there is, there's a few ambassadors from the Middle East, right? Okay. But the, 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 we have... Yeah, and this is now it gets a little bit complicated. So we have an ambassador program, which we had for, for many years. And what it basically allows us to do is it allows people to be at arm's length associated with Kirano. So there mm -hmm. is a sort of an entry, um, there's an entry sort of barrier to become an ambassador. You need to contribute and there's a team taking care of it and you will get a monthly ambassador call. There are some contributions, which means we pay for some, some services rendered in terms of translation or contribution. And, 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 and so on. So I think what it really does is allows uh, people who's not full-time working in Cardano to be closely affiliated with Cardano and uh, we contribute to them, but we also get a lot of value out of their expertise uh, from them being community members. So I think that what the program really enables is individuals to play a proactive role in driving adoption. 
and it's designed to foster awareness and to educate the wider community and ecosystem on how Cardano can be utilized to drive further adoption. Um, we currently have about 50 ambassadors from 30 different countries. And um, yeah, so that, so that, that just that works pretty well and, and we always have sort of ideas to improve that. On the side of that, we also have people who see themselves as ambassadors and work very ex extremely engaged as ambassadors, if I may say that word in brackets, but they're actually not part of this program. So this is people who have, you know, um, like the Bering brothers who helped us with the summit in Dubai last year and yes. are going to help us this year in Dubai. Um, which has a deep knowledge about technology and a deep knowledge about Cardano, but also um, they don't want to participate in sort of like a like a geek economy and so on, right? They are yeah. business leaders, and what they basically do is they, they have their own business, but they also are driving and always striving to get more blockchain adoption into the general society. And we work with a set of people like that um, to ensure that we have access to the right level of decision makers, but also to get inspiration and to open doors and to, to basically deploy blockchain um, in the Middle East, but also in other countries. Absolutely. And what I'm liking is, Frederick, you know, you're stressing on adoption, and that does not necessarily have to be with Cardano. You're focusing on all blockchain. Now, keeping that thing in mind, at the Cardano Summit, can you share some insights on some themes and topics that the attendees can look forward to? Yeah, um, well, there's so much happening there. So uh, I, I guess uh, it will be a little bit colored based on what uh, what we spoke about today. The one thing I'm very excited about is metadata. So there's going to be a track around uh, metadata and how you actually, how metadata is different on Cardano and some of the third generation blockchain and what that means for optimizing existing business models and new digital business models such as Web3. And I think metadata is, is the key for all businesses today is that what is the oil who drives businesses today. And there's a big shift in how data is being managed, stored and utilized as we move towards more open data footprint and less closed data footprints, but also as we move towards, you know, like open banking and all those kind of things. So I think the metadata and how metadata can be deployed on Cardano is one of the tracks I'm very, very much looking uh, forward to. The other part is sort of uh, thought leaders. There's going to be some really interesting thought leaders. Uh, one I would like to maybe also mention is Dr. Maran Al-Saruni, who's yeah. the CEO of the Dubai Blockchain Center. He will be there as well. But also the co-founder of IOTA, um, Dominic Sina, uh, and others. So I think there's going to be a very interesting sort of debate around, um, if I may say, uh, open source, public source, centralized systems capturing business value because very often, when you when you have a business model, you're trying to protect that. And if, if data is the key to your model, you're sort of skeptical around blockchain and you know how much transparency does it give. But on the other hand, the consumers and the ability to, to drive platform economics in, in the new era really relies on, on these kind of new business models. So I think some of those discussions around that is going to be extremely interesting. Uh, yeah. Now, just go to say, even Charles Hoskinson is going to be at the summit as well, right? Yeah, of course. Of course, Charles is going to uh, have a, a large keynote and he's going to be on the ground. And obviously, for, for those people who hasn't uh, been engaging with Charles before, uh, it's always an inspiration because he covers a very wide field, not just uh, in in blockchain and crypto, but he, he spans a lot wider across all the uh, technologies, which means that it's, um, it's very interesting to get his view 
on uh, on business models and new technologies and how they shape the business landscape. Absolutely, I remember meeting him in 2015 or 16. He did come to Dubai, and at that point of time, we just met at a coffee shop. I mean, at that point of time, the topic was more about cryptocurrency exchanges and not about NFTs or DeFi and all those things. Now, NFTs has definitely taken the world by storm. But what I wanted to find out is, let's say for the attendees, is there a possibility to get an NFT, let's say, like a proof of attendance NFT? Yeah, yeah. We had that last year as well, and there will be something like this this year as well. Uh, there's actually probably going to be multiple NFTs. And uh, last year, we even had a lot of sort of like an in, in NFTs or sort of treasure hunt as well, where you could sort of go to different parts, so the virtual part, the physical part, and you could collect a, a collection, and there was local collections as well. So yeah, that's going to be definitely around that as well. Also to encourage people who don't normally interact with NFTs to sort of get some exposure. But what I find even more interesting is some of the use cases like we did with Veritree, so the reforestation project in Kenya, where we use this combination of dynamic metadata and static metadata. Because what the NFT really does in the non-fungible token aspect is it allows you to to log in an identity and log in some data, which really becomes non-fungible. But when you then start thinking about Internet of Things and sensors and other things, what you want to do is you want to, you know, use oracles, if I may, in the old yeah. blockchain language, right, to update the information in the NFT, which means you now suddenly have this combination, which really Canano is ideal for, of using on-chain, off-chain data, but you can put a lot more on-chain, including the variable uh, aspects. So as the tree grows, you know, the carbon footprint is different, right? Which means the carbon value of the carbon credit is different, right? In this case, right? And you can then verify that with a set of different sensors, which is uploading in different, um, different uh, data, uh, date points, right? So weekly, monthly, and so on. And I think, you know, exploring how the NFTs can, uh, you know, be used even more um, dynamic is very important, including for identity and other things. Yes, absolutely. Digital identity is absolutely critical. And towards the later part, I do have one question regarding digital identity. And before that, I wanted to ask Frederick is that partnership does play a very crucial role at such events. Now, can you share any insights and collaborations that have been established in preparation for Cardano Summit? Are there any partnership that has been done which is not known to the public yet? No, I cannot share that at the moment. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, but I would love to to do that, but uh, at the moment, some of them also has told me that they would like to to uh, to announce with a bang and so on. So so they have their own launch schedule. But uh, yeah, there is some partnerships which will be announced, and uh, there is some things happening. What's very important for me, uh, specifically because I'm coming from investment banking, and some people say, "Oh, that actually makes you really bad in blockchain and crypto, right?" But for me, a lot of things is about verifiability. So I I really try to ensure that what we do with the Cardano Foundation that as much as possible needs to be verified on the blockchain. Yes. That's also why I'm very excited about our Explorer, not because it's a product and it shouldn't compete with community projects, but what was is very important for me is, and when you look at, you know, does the foundation make sense and do they live up to their promise? You should be able to find an impact on chain based through a Explorer and that can be a community one or own, doesn't really matter. So you need to be able, you, you should be able to verify some of our work and that includes partnerships. So for me, these, um, you see a lot is these MOUs or proof of concept. So, you know, like a large fortune 500 company suddenly goes on blockchain A and is a paid partnership. So the blockchain paid, you know, I don't know, 50 million to do something and they do something in an innovation lab and you see maybe one transaction and then it never gets yeah. anywhere. 
Right. For me, that's a joke. I mean, I'm, 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 it's not against it, but I just haven't seen significant innovation and significant changes of business model happening. So for me, what's really important around those things is, you know, you need to be able to 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 track a change of the business model or see a significant usage of the blockchain. And as we move towards side chains and mithril and other things, that of course becomes more difficult. But I, I think you know. Um, as you saw, for instance, I don't know if you saw, we, we launched together with the World Lacrosse Championship, a really interesting uh, use case, where we oh. have now over 6,000 NFTs. So every single jersey and jumper jacket and so on is actually on the Kadana blockchain. You can go in and find the asset on an explorer, including a small video of the T-shirt and so on. And every T-shirt has an NFC in it. So it's a, oh. like a radio beacon in it, which also allows you to have a different client experience. So it's not only verifying that this is an original product. So like these holographic things we're doing before, right? But it also allows you, for instance, to walk into the VIP section because they now say, okay, if you're wearing that, this is unique, it's verifiable on the blockchain. And this radio beacon then allows you into maybe the, you know, the VIP session and stuff like that. Special access. Yeah. So I think what that really does is allows you to, to do multiple things and it shows you how to also create not just a, virtual so metaverse experience that you can maybe wear your official lacrosse jacket in a computer game right but it mm -hmm. also allows you to have a physical different experience which i think is something many brands are looking for today uh, that you can you know uh, you know in terms of loyalty programs in terms of lounges in terms of different things that you can really give a, a physical experience which is dramatically different than what you get today so it gives more utility to uh, to the good than what you were able to do just with the good itself, if that makes sense. And we can send you a link if you want to, so you can uh, you can show some of those um, um, NFTs and how that connects to the radio beacon. You can even now go back to, uh, I believe it's on our developer portal and see some of the connection. And what's even more interesting, that little thing which we built there is actually built on Python. And uh, as you probably oh, okay. know, Python is uh, sort of another one of those programming languages which yeah. is very much in enterprises. So I think that there is some Python components there is, is again something which is good for adoption. Absolutely. And one question what I wanted to ask Fabric is, and this is something you did touch base upon earlier on as well, and this is to do with maximalism. Now, Ethereum maximalists, you know, they are, do not necessarily like, let's say, Cardano, and there is an office in Dubai called as Consensus. Mm -hmm. They tackle the code for Ethereum. So what message do you have for those people, and why should they attend the Cardano Summit? Well, so I was actually just on the panel uh, with um, with consensus at the um, Point Zero Forum, where we're debating um, sort of the environmental impact of blockchain technology and so on. And they actually just uh, they came over to me afterwards and said, "Let's work much closer together because uh, obviously you now have two sort of. I mean, I'm not very deep into the Ethereum ecosystem, but you have sort of the old Ethereum ecosystem and proof of work." Which in, in many ways are the maximalists, right? And you have the new one on proof of stake, which also has some maximalists to it, right? But the proof of stake one actually is very similar in many aspects to Cardano. And I think what that basically does is even though the Cardano is significantly smaller in terms of footprint and, and, and adoption, it, it, but we also have a very dedicated um, community and we actually have some use cases uh, which has not been explored on the new version of Ethereum after Casper. Uh, so I do think there is some learnings to be had for an Ethereum maximalist in terms of certain things which can now be done on Ethereum as well, which couldn't be done before. 
And on the other side, definitely the Kidano community is very interested in interoperability. And we never believed in that there would be one blockchain ruling them all. I mean, the world is too complicated and there's too many use cases which has the benefit or, or could use the benefit of blockchain. So I, I think my big sort of, you know, cry out will be, you know, if we are working together, we will create more impact on blockchain than if we are fighting. And uh, I think, you know, when we look, you know, at, at the current, you know, who takes decisions now and who is building, we've gone a long way since the spaceship here in Zug. Uh, so um, it's, a, it's a new generation of people. So let's just work more together and let's ensure that we can create a better world and more impact using decentralized permissionless blockchain technology. That is very well said, especially in the blockchain world. You often have things called as like, you know, the Ethereum killer. So, you know, you had EOS at one point of time, it was an Ethereum killer. You had Solana, which made a lot of hype. But to be honest, Cardano has definitely stood the stand of time. And right now it is at number third blockchain protocol that deals with smart contract. Now, do you envision, let's say in the next three to five years, or maybe even less, that it does actually overtake Binance BNB in the near future? So I don't have a crystal ball, right? Um, <laughs> but and I do hope, and I do have some concerns around if you go in on some of those web pages who's tracking market cap, yeah. what you're looking at there is some of that is not blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of that is really just, you know, a representation of a token on something I would be very scared of even putting in the same box as what I call blockchain. Does that mean that it doesn't have value? No, it does not mean that it doesn't have value. But we have to be very careful about when we think about decentralization and the power of swarm thinking and the power of equitable growth and allowing two or three billion people who don't have access to the systems of the world yeah. uh, and compare those two things with what you see on that list. So what I do hope is that, you know, that, that the real public infrastructure projects is going to have a lot more growth as we work towards enabling more use cases, more education, you know, lower the barrier of adoption, but also um, ensuring that, you know, that people can get access to these systems around the world. And um, so I, I think there's a, uh, it's going to be a bumpy road. It's going to be a marathon. Uh, but honestly speaking, I don't think you've seen anything yet coming out of blockchain. It was, you know, overrated in the start because it has so much potential and many technologies are like that and where we are right now on, on the Gartner curve uh, is basically we are now coming from a low point and we are gradually moving up and yes that's not as exciting as double digit growth and all those things but when you start looking at those use cases and you start looking at the people and the companies and the countries nation states who's deploying open public commissioners blockchains this is very exciting um, absolutely and lately, you know, Frederick, artificial intelligence has definitely kicked the world by storm, especially with ChatGPT and artificial intelligence. And one news that was circulating about UK is that HANA Technology, they've actually hired a CEO as an artificial intelligence program. So do you think artificial intelligence in the next coming years would actually steal some limelight and even investments, let's say, from blockchain industry? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. And uh, for good reason, right? Because it's the way... I mean, with the large language model, what you got is you got a way for a normal individual who has no computing skills or no data skills to interact with the AI and get value like this. 
the blockchain doesn't work like that. The blockchain is is a backend infrastructure much more, and you don't get direct value out of it like that. Blockchain will be sort of like the air you breathe. You know, if if there's plenty of air, you don't really pay attention to it, and you go around, you know, building your business, taking care of your family and your your local community, and so on. But as soon as the the, the air gets polluted or there is no more air when you're diving, for instance, right? Uh, yeah. You know, the whole priority changes. And what blockchain can do is AI can't do is that blockchain can be a part of securing that public infrastructure and ensuring that we don't go astray um, in, in where we are going, right? Uh, which AI can't do. But AI will definitely, you know, enable blockchain and be actually one of the drivers of blockchain infrastructure in the future. So I think actually it's, it's going to, on the short term, it's going to steal some investment, it's going to steal some of the limelight. But on the longer term, it's going to enable much more blockchain businesses and much more growth. So I'm very excited about it. And you also can see there's some very large projects merging AI, uh, computable um, um, infrastructure on blockchain. Uh, I'd like to highlight, for instance, Stephen Wolfram and Wolfram Alpha, which is already integrated into Cardano and so on on that side. That that's absolutely spot on. And one personal question what I wanted to ask is, uh, since the last few months, WorldCoin by Sam Altman and OpenAI has definitely taken the world by storm. And when you come to Dubai, you know, they have a physical device called as Orb, which is quite okay. nearby from which is quite nearby from the Cardano Summit. So would you be willing to go out and do the verification in that physical device? Because what they are claiming is that that physical device will do your verification, is going to be 100% decentralized or distributed, I would like to call it. And they are using zero knowledge proof as well. The program is live in Dubai. Okay, uh, so I don't know enough about it. I, <laughs> I am a little bit protective about my identity. Exactly. Uh, so everywhere yeah. where I need to leave a biometric footprint or something like that, I, I, I want to understand better because I've seen firsthand from being in the military and being associated with tier one and tier two operators, you know, mm-hmm. what this could lead to, both in terms of positive and negative. Yeah. So I, I would need to understand more, but uh, I'm definitely very curious about those things and I'm very, I'm always sort of interesting in trying things to understand it instead of just reading about it. That's absolutely great. And I just have two questions. And the next question that I have, Frederick, is actually written by ChatGPT. So I'm just going to read out verbatim because what I mm. did was I put all your questions into ChatGPT and GPT4 and I asked it to create a question. So the question is, if you were to paint a picture of the future where blockchain technology, like Cardano, for instance, has transformed the world, what would be, what would be the most exciting an unexpected way you see it impacting our daily lives. Hmm. I think the most unexpected part you will see is that we would have much more time to go back to the basics. When I say go back to the basics, I'm going all the way back to the Greek. So when you looked at the Greek educational system uh, in the old ages, right? They were they were spending a lot of time on on first principles, so uh, you know you know articulation of arguments, debate, philosophy, and those kind of things. And I think um, we will probably have an opportunity to revisit that. And I think some of those philosoph- philosophical questions will become much more important. But it also will be the fundament to how we evaluate technology and how we evaluate what is the truth going forward. Um, so I think it's going to be a change in the whole educational system and in the way we interact and trust with 
institutions, which also would mean that there's going to be a change in the leadership of institutions and of countries and nation states. And that change is going to um, challenge democracy, probably to the better um, across the world, because we will need a different type of leaders to navigate a society where the most important part is not trust intermediation, but the most important part is um, how we, you know, collaborate uh, and save the planet, but also how we, you know, work around human species and how we work around continuous growth uh, and evolution of the human species. That's excellent. And now some of the presidential candidates, they're also talking about cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology as well, as beautifully said. And the final question, Frederick, is, when you come to Dubai, are you planning to do something interesting, let's say like skydiving or deep diving pool or anything interesting that you plan, not related to cryptocurrency blockchain protocols as such? Oh, that's a quite interesting question. Uh, so I am a licensed skydiver and I'm also a licensed oh. uh, scuba diver. Uh, so oh. I haven't really thought about doing any of those while I'm there, but uh, thank you for the, uh, for the idea. Yeah. Um, I think one thing I would really like to try is I was in Dubai, uh, that was it last year and something like that. And I, I actually just managed to scoop away into the, one of the big water parks. And there was oh. a big line on one of the water slides. So I didn't manage to do that. I only had like 40 minutes to really run in there and have a laugh with a couple of colleagues. But uh, there's definitely one of these very, very steep uh, water slides, uh, which I always I could imagine, uh, would work. Um, I am probably not going to be able to do too much of sort of you know private time there uh so so that would be something and the other part is i'm definitely looking forward to catching up with the uh some of the local people uh yeah. on the ground for dinner or, or or something like that really also discuss the development of the whole uh, region i'm very curious also about you know the geopolitical situation and how dubai has been navigating that and the emirates have been navigating that uh, so catching up with some uh, old friends and so on would definitely also be on the agenda. But if you have any good ideas uh, like you just had, uh, yeah. do, uh, do, do send it my way. I'll be very open to try something new. Definitely, definitely. Thank you so very much, Frederick, for doing this. Really, really appreciate it. Any last words do you have for our listeners about the Kadana Summit? No, I I think I, I spoke a lot about the Kadana Summit, right? So yeah. and uh, there's a lot of blockchain events in, in in Dubai, and I think it must be really hard to figure out which event you go to. Uh, I am biased, of course, because I work for Cardano and I'm part of the organizers, but I, I've been to a lot of blockchain, fintech, crypto uh, events in the last sort of seven, eight, nine years, right? And if this is going to be anywhere close to what I experienced in Lausanne last year from the Cardano Foundation, I would really say, trust me, this is an event you do not want to miss. You might not get the most sort of ballroom activity, but what you're going to get is you're going to you really get a crash course in blockchain adoption. Why it matters together with the best people in the, from around the whole world in two days. So if you just want to be in one event where it's not just about selling, but it's really about how you change the world to the better and how you deploy this beautiful technology across variable different use cases, I think this is the event you need to be to. So I would really highly encourage you to secure the tickets, get there. And, uh, you know, who knows, you might build a business while you're there, or you might, you know, change your view on proof of stake or uh, EUTXO or another of those things you might be, you know, thinking about why that matters. That's beautifully said. And what I'll do is, you know, all the details that you mentioned, I'll go ahead and mention that in the show notes alone, show notes as well, and I'll go ahead and mention the Explorer and quite a lot of other things as well. Thank you so very much, Ferry, for doing this. Really, really appreciate it, you. 
Yeah, thank you. And thank you for pushing blockchain in general around Dubai. That's, that's, that's amazing. Thank you for your contribution.